Very good. Welcome. Welcome to another journey into the mystic. I'm Kayleen McCaw, taking you on a tour of the place I like to call backstage at the human experience, where the rules behind the rules are in full effect. Those rules that we might rightly call magic. So reaching out into that space with the power of sacred sound, the carrier wave that so perfectly holds our intentions, I light the cup of joy that stands here in the mystic as the sign of that which we want to be when we grow up, fully functioning, light-emitting, plasma beings who happen to be having a little party inside of flesh and manifestation. And I call out to all of the interested parties who don't happen to have bodies from the past, from the future, from the ethers, those who share our DNA and those who simply share our desire for this story to end well. Join here with us sharpen our wisdom, whisper in our ears the things that need to be heard, tell us when to shut up about the things that don't need to be said, and guide our path together into a truth that is uplifting and strengthening and necessary for this time. Thanks for hanging with me. So my guest today uh, is Beverly Gordon, someone who I met at the Hermitage Artist Retreat when I was doing a performance of, I forgot to light the Palo Santo, so I'm doing that now. Uh, when I was doing a performance of one of my solo plays, which is like all my work more relevant now than it was when I did it. <laughs> uh, it's a story about the culmination of the age, the Suntelia, that time when all the storylines come together and just when you're afraid it's all done, something new pops into being. And Beverly has her own pedigree, which I will let her share so that I don't miss something important. And I'll bring her into the conversation. Hello, welcome. Hello, and I'm so glad to be here. Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. So tell us just a little bit about your, about your background. Oh, I don't want to talk about a pedigree <laughs> at all. It can be as short as you as you want. Yeah, I mean, I have I have um, like official credentials. I was a university professor of design and culture for many many years at the University of Wisconsin. But I think probably, and I've done many things. And I'm an artist, and a so a visual artist, a writer. Um, written various kinds of things from poetry to academic things and and trade books and and uh, but probably more relevant here is um and now i'm retired officially from my job and one of the things i do is i'm a hospice volunteer and i help start and sometimes still lead um, death cafes so we were going to be talking about that kind of issue today so I have a lot of uh, experience and some training in that regard mm -hmm. I've been I was graduated from an energy healing school and although I don't do that directly it informs things and I have a, mm -hmm. I 
am a facilitator for soul collage, which is a, a collage process that where we bring out our inner guidance. And I do workshops that are about bringing out our inner guidance. So I'm, I'm very much on that. I'm a mystic. <laughs> and I'm uh, very much on that sort of deeper, interested in that deeper level. So wonderful. Yeah, I, would, I, was, I was looking at that on your website, and it seems like when we were planning our human experience, we just kind of kept drawing from the same piles. It's like, yeah, give me some of that. It's like, yeah, give me some of that. And there's this, there's this thing that happens at the intersection of um, scholarly structure and mystical allowance. I mean, that's really where life happens. You know, we are this amazing combination of well, I call it yes and, you know, allowing that thing that wants to happen to happen and then putting in your own two cents worth, rowing gently down the stream, as I, as I like to call it. Um, I also have been a hospice volunteer and involved with uh, the Death Cafe movement. And um, I guess first really started paying a lot of attention to death because I didn't have a choice. I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, a small family dairy farm and you're surrounded by, I mean, the realities of life, you know, animals die and you don't have a funeral for them. They sit there and rot. So you get to watch this whole like process with maggots and flies and oh my goodness. I mean, um, very, very kind of unapologetic um, indoctrination into the realities of life, which I have to stop and remember sometimes that very few people have really experienced the reality of, well, the life cycle. In our current culture, sure. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened with all the, the cattle that died, they just were out in the field? Well, there was like a pit where, you know, because the thing is, family farm, chronically understaffed, triage, you know, and uh, tidying up was not always on the top of the list. It's like, you know, fix the broken fence, get the, get the sprinklers changed. Um, there was a, a pit where they were officially dragged to, you know, to do their decomposing, which, of course, is the favorite place for the kids to hang out with all the broken, rusted stuff and, you know, all the, all the bodies. And my summer job was shoveling cow poop out of, you know, so I got all the reality stuff real, real early on. So I wanted to focus in, in our conversation today, on death, death as an ally, which is a very shamanic concept that it, it seems really important to put the invisible member of every conversation these days, like in the center of the table and say, all of this talk about the virus is really talk about death. Because what importance is it except that maybe it's gonna kill you? And what does that mean? And why are we so, well, why are we the way we are? And how are we and how can we change? And I would just kind of like to let that conversation roll around so that the first step is just to admit that that's really what this meta conversation is about. The I think it's the fear of death that certainly is what underlies this general fear that people have. But then it's much more complicated than that, too, because it's the death of, of all kinds of old ways of 
of seeing reality. Yes. And I think what a lot of people are afraid of, even those who don't feel there's anyone close to them dying or they think they're far away from that, um, is the, you know, so there's economic fears. It, it is the death of some assumptions we had, some, some, some complacency, some ways of life. And I mean, I'm hoping that really filters in, but I, so I think it's death on a lot of levels. It is physical death. Mm -hmm. It's not only physical death. Right. That's very true. That's, that's very true. And that's one of the conversations I keep waiting to see happen on the public stage. And I guess the reason I want to start with physical death is because as I logic through the process, it seems like this one thing is kind of the seed reason for why we don't talk about any of it. Because, you know, this abstract notion of the, the life cycle of a culture you know, there is a time when we look at it and say, well, did that work? <laughs> and the question is not who gets blamed for the fact that it didn't, but, you know, now what are the wise old women going to do to teach the next generation of children how to do better next time? And just kind of let the chips fall where they may as far as blame giving and fault finding. That's just kind of a waste of time. Mm -hmm. So is there, do you want to explore, what do you want to explore in terms of okay. So let me, let me lay out my underlying belief here is that the place we most likely went wrong without realizing it is when we let go of the traditional culture's ritual. Mm -hmm. That in a traditional culture, and I mean truly traditional, like uh, surviving in places where imperialist cultures have not come in and stolen the land and say, now you're so lucky you're going to be like us. Welcome to Rome. You get to be a citizen. <laughs> that uh, uh, tribal cultures <laughs> where you have rituals to pass the stages of life. One of my certifications is as a life cycle celebrant. Um, which is, you know, kind of a, a formal, secular way of saying we do the same kind of thing that mystics do, that witches do, that the wise old women do, that the passages that we step through as we grow to a pinnacle of our life and then come down the other side of the hill to the only way out of the human experience are important and they change us. And if we do them consciously, we do them well. And if we do them unconsciously, well, that's what's happened to us. Uh, and Well, I think that the issue of ritual is extremely important, but I don't think it's really where we got lost. I think sort of a chicken and an egg a little bit, but I, I know a fair amount historically about the, the um, funeral business and, and death, what there's a word anthropologists use called death ways. Right. So, history of that which is really fascinating I used to take my students on a tour of the cemetery where we'd really track the history through different things in the material culture of it but we in the 20th century with better hygiene and everything else there were less people dying and it used to be that everybody died at home and death was absolutely um, a part of life that everybody saw. They, they, it was inevitable. 
I mean, in the 19th century, you took pictures of dead babies because then you'd have a way of keeping them, you know, photographs, which people now find very gruesome, but that's not the way they were experienced then. Anyway, so the funeral industry or the business really started with the Civil War and, and, and uh, they kind of got into, um, I'm not thinking of the word when you mummify the body. Yeah, yeah. To take bodies home from the battlefield, so they wouldn't wouldn't rot on the way to wherever they came from, and then this all got entrenched in a very capitalist way, right? And so bodies have been whisked away, and then less people have died. We've been hearing a lot about Spanish flu now of a hundred years ago, and there were lots then, but that seems to have not been talked about afterwards from what I've been hearing very much. But it was also at the time of World War One. But, but then especially since antibiotics and in like our lifetime and, and after World War Two, there's so much less death in America. Well, except for very poor places and so forth, but, but it, we don't see it and those who die are taken away and, and it's even in legal ways now that they're taken away like you can't well it depends on the state but in a lot of places you can't people don't think you can take care of a body yourself you usually can that's an important point there what we believe and what's actually the truth because that's one of the things that i research pretty intensively in most places you have the right to keep the body at home for three days and you can keep it cool and fresh with dry ice and sit shiva and you know do funeral director although there are some state differences from what i understand legally but 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 nobody knows that you know they don't tell you that and and even in some places you can if it's on your own land you can bury one or two bodies in your own backyard that's not more but so there, it, it is, there's a lot of misinformation, but it's because that whole idea that death was taken away from the home and we used to wash the bodies and then it became quote professionalized. So it's, it's not so much the history lesson, but understanding that that was literally taken from the domestic context where women were more the people in charge. Mm-hmm. Right. So-called profession. And I've been, I was talking to a, funeral director recently who said what it was like at funeral director training and mm. you know they're told they have to not show any emotions that they have to be like this automaton she used a word i don't remember what it was but it, it just it's so interesting it was actually in their training and she said she could lose her license if people knew some of the ways she went about hugging people and asking them how they were and things that are very human it's something very perverse about that it is really, really terrible. Yeah, so I, I mean, let me back up because I didn't quite finish my part of it too, but just that whole thing that it's not normalized in people's lives anymore. Exactly, exactly. And that's where I was really going with the ritual because the a part of your coming of age, becoming an adult ritual, is taking your own life into your hands. 
facing death. It's like there's like, like in this grotesque ritual where your father gives you to your husband in a marriage. You know, it's like your parents, your, your mother gives you to yourself and says, okay, here, walk by the edge of the cliff. And if you're dumb enough to fall off, that's your business because you're an adult now. You know, I'm not the one who's going to save you. You're welcome to the adult world. We're all in this together. And that, that, and, and, you know, depending on the culture, it can be pretty extreme. I mean, when it was time to initiate my own daughters, it just kind of fell into my lap in a beautiful way. We were in North Carolina doing some stuff and had a little time and went to one of these incredible state parks and climbed up the side of a cliff and came to a place where you could look out over the edge. And, you know, my guidance system is just in the back of my mind saying, it's like, you stay here, let them go. And it's like, really? It's like, okay. And they both did the same thing. They walked right up to the very edge of the cliff, which looks out over, you know, the birds are flying down below us. And they looked down for a minute and they realized it's like, wow, I'm totally dead if I, if I, you know, don't take care of it. And then they threw up their hands and went, because they were really alive like really really alive because they had been in the presence of their own death and that's what we threw away when we stopped becoming adults and now we come to the end of our lives and there's still this nanny state saying it's like well we're going to save you from dying we're going to keep on pretending that it's never ever ever going to happen to you and we pretend up until the point where they throw us in the furnace. And it's made us a little crazy. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. And, and also the whole inability people to have about, well, then what? What happens? And, yeah. and, that's a, and it's a taboo to talk about death. It's, a, you know, I, in these death cafe places, people say, I... There was nowhere I could talk about this. Everybody would just shut me up. You know that I needed a place to talk about it, which is, you know, it's the one thing that we know is going to happen to every one of us. So it's so crazy. It is, it, and it's like, and and there are ritual things you're supposed to say if the conversation does come up, and everybody knows you're supposed to say them, and you're supposed to believe them because that's what people say. It's like, what happens when you die? And the right answer is, nobody knows. You know, with the implication that maybe you go to hell if that thing turns out to be real and God doesn't like you. Um, and I'm calling bullshit on that. Because the mystics have been telling us for thousands and thousands of years. The shamans have been going back and forth for as long as there have been human beings. And what they say universally is if you're going to go to the land of the dead, like if you're walking with somebody, death walking somebody across the threshold, you got to make sure you have a absolute covenant that you're going to come back and finish something in your life because you're not going to want to come back because it's awesome over there. Yeah. yeah. And, and the more we could communicate this to people, the more comfort we have actually. Or yeah. that people wouldn't. And that's one of the things I feel like is part of my own personal mission for lack of a better word that i want people to be able to have have some of that awareness which is comforting so that it's not just this this fear of this gaping hole or the end of something yeah and there is so much experience about this and and age old it's nothing new you know people have been dying as long as 
there have been any people or before there were people people you know and and so it's not it's not as unfamiliar as it's made out to be mm -hmm. i mean there are circles where this is talked about but i even recently had the experience of of trying to even invite people to a circle of talking about about those mystical things that happen when people are dying at, at the local hospice and that was not welcomed and it just boggles my mind really because why not <laughs> well why somehow not? yeah even when you're in the business of dealing with people who are dying you're forbidden to actually deal with it as a, a spiritual event. if you have the if you have the hat mm -hmm. it says Chaplain, then you are, but it's still put in a box because, but that's got a lot to do with the medical model, which is another thing we could talk about about death. I mean, that it's medicalized and there's so much else going on. But, but I think that the, the resistance is very strong, and yet, you know, maybe this virus will enable some more of that, or, or maybe not. I don't know. Well, what I'm what I'm seeing is that there has been a big uprise in death cafes. You know, now that everything's happening online, there are a lot of Zoom death cafes. You oh, know, really? because yeah, it's 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 kind of a great thing. And um, I'll have to check that out. I didn't even know that. Absolutely, and and it's something. It doesn't have to be an official death cafe. I mean, they do a great job of organizing things. But there's, I mean, their only rule is have tea and cake and talk about death. So it's not like you can't duplicate that. Yeah, there's no more official thing. It's just, it's just a place to talk about dying. Yeah. Exactly, where where you know that nobody's going to shut you down or say that's too scary because that was always the plan. Right, or if too far out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And they are very different because I've been in different ones, and there can be a, a both in the way that they're run and in the energy that comes through they can be very different right so what's been your experience with death cafes well i helped start one that we didn't want to use the word death cafe this was in wisconsin and that sounded like a harsh name which it doesn't bother me particularly but i know it turns some people away because mm -hmm. it's too out there i guess and and so we called it community community conversations on death and dying and there were five of us who were kind of a collective who started it and we included among us were a buddhist zen, zen chaplain mm -hmm. you know we had a a, a a spiritual underpinning just by who we were and we invited people we knew so i think that's helped it get started with that underpinning and and there would be a very holy holy uh kind of sharing and it was also run as a circle mm -hmm. i've been in one here which is very good and it's very small though and it doesn't get many in the way of new people but it's also very personal but people are more interested in in logistics or how to set up advanced directives and that kind of practical stuff and telling stories about what the what happens in terms of how do the medics come what happens if you call 911 all of which is important but it's a different it's a different subject i'm sorry about that noise it's going to keep happening i think
So it's our little, it's our little background timekeeper. Okay. Yeah, that, that was my experience too, is that there tend to be those, those two tracks. Uh, the one that I was mainly involved with, there were always new people. And um, it might have been wise at some point to separate out the people who keep coming back, you know, unless they're going to become the facilitators to go off and have a different conversation, which kind of naturally evolved. But that's it. It's like uh, just the, the logistics, because we don't think about it. We don't plan for it, the, the simple things and knowing how the law can sweep you away or how it can work in your favor if you plan, if you actually have a plan and that's a that's a phrase we like to reject but i think it's a really important one dying well well and perhaps dying with the community mm -hmm. you don't have to die alone well people go to the hospital for covid might have to die alone right now but but in terms of that that situation aside that i mean i know people who have community um, organizations they're not that they're more just gatherings of people who are um, who are doing um, no it's be quiet <laughs> it's my partner here um, they're they're walking each other home essentially to use Ramdas's phrase and doing community um natural burials where they have a it's it's like a burial society in a way mm -hmm. and they agree to help each other with with all of this well in advance and then they're there for each other when someone actually dies and and take care of all the details and sometimes have parades through their little town oh processions not a parade but uh -huh. you know so from that kind of level to things that emerge when someone is dying that someone is going to be in charge of it and then they gather people around but it's there's a whole range such a range yeah. and that community aspect is where the real magic and power comes in and and it, it sounds like from what you've been privy to that in the professional death care industry it's actually forbidden to provide any of what is actually needed on a spiritual, emotional, community level, that's, that's so sad. Well, I think there's something that can still come through in a funeral at a funeral home. And I've known some funeral directors who are really good. So it's, I wouldn't say everything is impossible. Because sometimes just coming together in a more traditional, often religious, or not religious, but in a funeral home, is a chance for people to meet each other and talk. and. So it depends how it's done. So there is that, but it's only a small piece of the whole because right. they're not really hanging out with the body. They're not, um, they're, they're not able to process that. And I don't mean an embalmed, fixed up body. I mean a real dead body that right. they can see the difference of a person who is alive and a person who is dead. I can really understand that because it, it, it's, so clear you know and then it, that's part of what makes it so powerful right and there's big healing that comes in that it because there's a, it's like this visceral understanding that what's missing is the real person that this body was never my loved one it was the home for the light that has now you know gone on to the next level of the game 
and um, yeah, we've we've gotten a whole bunch of things backwards. So my big plan when I got my funeral certification was to start this movement, uh, which had the same name actually as what ended up being my solo play, Santilia, a Santilia celebration, which is basically the funeral you have while you're still alive, because why should you wait to have people say nice things about you until you've left the building? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it's an opportunity to settle things so nobody is left on the other side of your desk saying, oh, if only, you know, if only we'd had that conversation, if only we'd made peace with that thing. And, um, and I would talk to people about it. I was so excited and everybody pretty much said the same thing. It's like, wow, what a great idea. But when do you do that? You know, when do you admit that you're gonna die? How dead do you have to be before you concede defeat? And what is your idea of when you do it? Honestly, I think the best time to do it is when you're a teenager. And then you do it again later on because it was normalized that that becomes that coming of age ceremony that actually everybody levels up at the same time. So the elders in your life who are, you know, standing on the brink of the next big experience get to minister from that place of wholeness into your life, that peace and comfort that there's something beautiful up ahead. And while it's in your hands, you get to steer this little ship of light as the captain of your ship. And when it comes time to steer it into the great beyond, there'll be a community around you to do that too, because we own our whole life. And that's really it. I don't own my whole life until I own my death. And when we try to say that won't happen, we put ourselves in a position where life never really happens. And we're, well, we end up, <laughs> we end up with people who are not thinking straight telling us to do all kinds of crazy things because you might die if you breathe the air. You might die if you hug somebody. Oh, you, you might. It's like, well, I'm, you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah well nobody wants to die a horrible death as they perceive it you know that, that's true too that it's just it, there's so many horrible case scenarios we did of what happens that it's not just it it's it's not even just the fear of death it's the fear of horrible death which i that's one of the things this is a bit of a diversion from what you were saying but digression but I know that one of the exercises of, well, what's a good death for you? And it, it's a really good question because is it just that you're not in pain? Is it that you have people around you? Is it that you feel a connection with God? I mean, there's so many ways that people will answer that. Often, I think, is that they're not in pain. But yeah. sometimes people answer that by saying, I want to be alone. I, I've heard, that. you know, I don't want people around I want to be able to do that alone so it's it, it really that's a it, it's certainly separate from your your Santalia idea and and the idea that we have rituals along the way different rituals and different different acknowledgments of of life would be really um, meaningful and then death becomes one of them you know if we if we have coming of age but then there's so many other points along the way i mean even remember when when my daughter was kind of turning into a 
a preteen, not even a teenager. And I realized I had to mourn that the little girl, you know, who was never going to come back. And that's okay because she was something else was happening. But that was really gone. And if we had ways even to ritualize that, even for a parent, you know, that that would make it so much more um, whole sacred almost. That yes, this is all true. And then comes the next, and then comes the next. And old age is is a part of it and it's got its own gift string of beads that they all have a context yeah and Mm. and we we stop doing that on purpose and you know i'm gonna lay the blame on television um you know however much you believe about the backstory and mind control and you know all that you can that rabbit hole goes really deep but the truth is that we have allowed our enculturating process to be performed by advertisers since the 50s. The people whose job it is to tell us what it is to be a person have become increasingly advertisers who, whose stated goal is to turn us into good consumers. And a good consumer is nervous and neurotic and anxious and is hoping to find a solution in the store. And that's kind of the opposite of what a good person is. And everything's a problem, you know, it's that thing of if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, mm-hmm. you know, that everything's a problem. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think it, there was radio before that, but it it's part of the same thing as we were talking about with the funeral industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's consumerism, it's capitalism, really. And uh, it's my hope that that could, that it's, it's inherent um, insidiousness. <laughs> is being laid to bear more and more and it's my hope that maybe that could move i don't know but i but i think things are things are not going to be the same but i don't i i I predict i can only say the more we can talk about everything that it means to be conscious the better Mm -hmm. and i think that's the gift of this corona event and the reason to be okay with hanging out in this prolonged state of, of shutdown is there are things that should be dying that we get to watch go away. Things we've been complaining about for as long as we can remember. And now they're actually breaking. We say, Oh no, my crappy world is going away. (laughs) It's like, it's okay. Because you know, it's that cycle of life. That means it's making new for something else. But you know, I come back to fear of death because why are we so afraid of change? Ultimately, because we're afraid we're going to die, ultimately. Exactly. And, you know, I, this is another one I kind of sussed out. I'm really fond of finding seed points, you know, just that's how my logic stream works. And again, if there is blame to to be laid, which ultimately I don't think is relevant, but, you know, we're very good at doing that, is that when the Romans gave us their version of Christianity. They took out all of the references to reincarnation. And they didn't really have to do a lot else. Because what that nice Hebrew boy was teaching was way different. And he wasn't telling a story about him getting killed either. <laughs> he was telling a different story. That if we just... And, and you know, ultimately, I think what it, what it really is, is let's just say that it was an accident and not a malicious act. 
that they took a story that had always been told about the corn and the squash and made it about a man. And yes, the corn falls, the seed is buried, and it comes back to life. And that's the cycle of nature. And when you make it about a blood sacrifice, all this like stuff starts to happen in the background and it makes you nutballed. And I, I really think ultimately that's like the simplest mistake we made is we were supposed to be telling a story about the grass <laughs> and we made it about our flesh. Well, you were supposed to be telling a story about love and about I'm powerful. I am I am God, essentially. I am a piece mm -hmm. of God. I am I am so empowered. That was Jesus's message. Right. And that's the ultimate heresy, of course. Yeah, it was maliciously done. It was. It's the way they took out Mary Magdalene and made her a whore and the, yeah, the whole thing. It was done. But I don't know that it yeah, we could go back, but it's the whole patriarchy that's been so strong for so long. And again, if we talk about death and dying, who are most of the people who want to be death doulas now? It's, it's women. It's women who've been able to understand the cycle of life from the beginning. And who, who is it that really started this contemporary conscious death movement? It's the same people who became midwives and started the conscious birth movement when they were younger. And now that we're older and facing death more imminently, it seems, then that the you know it's turning to that and it is it's not exclusively women but it but yes. women can hold it better yeah well there, there's something in there's just something in the dna it just makes sense i mean our bodies are the living representation of the cycle of life it's like yeah men do some changing but we do it in a really big way you know, we blossom into women and then we, we fade into dried flower arrangements. <laughs> and then we, we become compost. Um, yeah. Hmm. So the more, the more I learn as I not just as I get older, it has nothing to do with age particularly, it's just as I observe, you know, the more we see everything is just change, changed form. There have been all these films I've watched that are about, well, one was about not the life in the dark, because they now have cameras that can film mm -hmm. in the dark and you can see things. And it, there's so much as predation mm -hmm. and everything, is a predator of something. We all eat something, you know, to think that plants aren't alive is ridiculous, you know, even if you are visiting. And, and um, everything is always changing. Everything is changing form all the time. Mm -hmm. And the more you really get that, really, really like get that in your cells, more, and our sense of time is so is so small. I mean, one of the other things about about expanding consciousness is understanding that the life, the human life, even if it's a hundred years, is so tiny. You know, think about how old the mountains are. Think about you know the Rocky Mountains came up. The petrified forest in Arizona was a great place to really get this because there was this forest that was like in a river basin like the amazon huge basin it's it's roughly where costa rica is now mm -hmm. 
and then the the tectonic plates move. So now this is in current day Arizona. All right, so these trees fell into the water. They became, for some reason, silica. They were filled with silica instead of just rotting, and they became crystals. They became petrified rocks, petrified trees. Then they got buried because the Rocky Mountains came up, you know, with the, the plates coming up. And then the Rocky Mountains started to erode again. You know, this is a very long time. This is so many millions of years. And then they became exposed to us to see, we can now see them where they fell after there were mountains on top of them and, and mountains. But, you know, you just begin to take that in. Or there's, I've been at the Sahara, and just the idea that what was under the Sahara was this incredible life building. And, and the Sahara itself has cycles of 20,000 years. But it, the details don't matter. It's just the sense of vastness. Mm -hmm. And our perspective is so tiny. You know, it's like we look up at the stars and we know we're small. But and I don't mean to make us feel small, but just that if we expand our vision mm -hmm. and understand that everything has changed, this body, this life is just, you know, one thing. Just like we see the, the mushroom comes and goes in a day or so. And it just changes into another form. And we are the same. It's just that our time scale is different. So the more we really get that, yeah. and we get it by really observing and not just what we see, but, you know, things about, about astronomy or, and about geology. The world around us is so full of things that can lead us into that bigger perspective. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That the cycles and the identity, I mean, I mean, they go together. Even if we stick with the identity of being human, mm -hmm. that right now I'm having the experience of being this human, but ultimately it's all of us that I am humanity flowing through this particular form. I am the awareness of everyone who came before me and the hope of everyone who comes after me. And we've forgotten how to connect with that. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's a process of becoming aware again that we are, we are in a soup of consciousness and it's all connected to us. For me, the new physics has been really valuable in my sound healing practice, which gives me a reason to look at uh, images of sound waves as like bubbles of energy with portals. And it's like, ah, because that's what I really am. That's what we are. We are these bubbles of energy that animate flesh for a little while. And then when it's not time to animate flesh anymore, well, they, they go off in their bubbles somewhere else. And that really just makes so much more sense that we truly are this stardust power having a lark of seeing what it's like to be mud. Let's go down there and see what that's like, you know, and when that's over, let's go see what something else is like. But we're, it's that weaponized faith we were given that not only is there for, we're not even going to talk about you being something that goes on forever. You get one chance and Big Daddy's going to decide whether you did it right or not. And you can't ever really know whether you're good enough unless, you know, somebody saves you. 
It's that infantilizing that, that I never come into my own agency, that I'm always hoping somebody else is gonna do it for me and, and do a better job. So the stakes are incredibly high on this one little journey through the muck. You think that's breaking down now, that belief system, that, that programming? Well, let's just intend that it's going to, by golly. Let's do that. Let's do that with the rest of our time together. Let's be wise old mystic women together. Because that's what I've come to in this time of what do we do? What do we do? It's like not the old stuff. <laughs> Let's do the new stuff. Is that instead of running away from the past and the specter of all the stuff that went wrong, let's consciously stride into the future that we want to reincarnate into. Because the mystics will tell us that, you know, when we come back, we tend to come back in our own bloodline. So I really want the world to be here for my great-great-granddaughter because that's going to be me. Well, I would go a step further maybe or differently, which is we can make it here now. You know, I don't even think it's all about reincarnating. I'm not sure I'm, uh, that that may be, but also everything that comes into existence in human experience anyway or probably on every level is somehow dreamed into existence first and all we know that's true for inventions and you know that somebody has an imaginal self that and we make it we we imagine it we we visualize it we somehow create it and it, it is radical to believe that, but I do believe it after a lot of things that lead to that understanding. Modern physics is telling us that now. It's not radical anymore. Modern physics is, is so exciting, yes. So if that's true, it's not just, quote, in another life. I mean, we, this, this reality, we, jump, we can jump to another reality the second, you know, and, yeah. and that's really radical, and it's not... It doesn't, our, our minds don't grasp that because it doesn't fit anything we know. But mm -hmm. there's some other part of us that can sometimes grasp that. Yeah, that, that really is. And again, the work with uh, sound frequency has really opened my mind to that. Mm -hmm. Because you've seen the cymatic images probably of the sand shaken on a plate. And when you change the frequency, the entire structure just changes. And we know, you know, we, we don't feel it because we're not taught that way, but we know, and our science knows, that everything is frequency. That we seem to be solid, but that's just a really persistent illusion. We're mostly space, and we're all just dancing energy with, you know, light bouncing out of it. So when we change that frequency, when we tune in the frequency of the future that's going to work for humanity, for our children and our grandchildren, and what do the ancients say? He should be thinking seven generations ahead. That that act is what calls it into being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it all. It, I think it bringing it back to death. There's this whole thing of well, I'm not afraid because I know that somehow you know that what? these things go together. That that somehow really understanding the depth of where we are and also the, the the blip of where we are just frees us it frees us so much yeah yeah we are we are at play in the fields of grace yeah
Yeah, and even even when there's when there's a great deal of suffering, then it ends. You know, then it ends. It's not it's not eternal. Yeah. And that suffering, I mean, is is somewhat what we I think we come to learn, but and don't have to keep going into. But that's a that's a, a separate belief system. But but even if you don't think that, and you have a a hard physical time or uh, everything is really hard in this life then it ends but then it ends it doesn't you know it's over mm -hmm. so that is a well that's the beauty of that that death being part of the cycle mm -hmm. i mean even if this one experience was all that there is and you have to for the sake of argument have that conversation and honestly somebody forcing me to do that really helped me kind of put everything in order it's like, okay, even if this is all there is, it's going to work a lot better if I enjoy it. And I'm going to enjoy it a lot more if I'm not always afraid of the way that it ends. Yes. Yes. And, and we, draw, we draw things to us by our beliefs. So mm -hmm. uh, that's very so. Again, that one has to just accept that as a, but it, there's a lot of evidence of it. Exactly. Yeah, it's not something that you that you take on, take on faith unless. Well, I kind of want to bring back the F word and have it mean something, because <laughs> you know we kind of talk like faith means when you say you believe something that you know darn well isn't true, and what it wants to mean is when you know something. But that's right, and and when you really experience something it's not even faith anymore it's just knowing yeah that's what they say ineffable is you know we you you just know it so it's not even like you believe it which is what i think most right. of us think it's it's just that you know it that's a great point yeah you don't have to f the ineffable <laughs> it goes on by itself right right and I've been blessed to have experiences where I know some of these things. And, and so there's nothing that can take that apart. You know, it's just there. Mm -hmm. You had a piece of poetry you wanted to share. Well, I think it's relevant. Um, yeah. When we talked about maybe doing this, this um, podcast, I thought of this poem because I had just looked at it. I wrote it quite a long time ago. But I, it's not very long, um, and it does kind of reinforce some of what we've been saying. So the title of it is, What Is It to Die? I've watched people die, closing in on the end, breathing laborious or barely there, the skin waxy, the frame reduced, everything frail. Actively dying these last three days, shedding their clothes of complexity, their stitches of woe. Here now, put down that body, unwind the cords, stand naked in the wind, melt into the sun, it begins. Nice. I love that. I love that. That's, that's the best declaration for the future of how we understand this transformation formerly known as death. I like that. 
yeah, we need to be looking forward to something, not running away from something. Well, and for anybody who might be listening who doesn't have that kind of faith, just listen to people like Anita or Johnny who, who speaks so beautifully about her, her, her going to the, the other side and then what some would call a near-death experience and then coming back. And she's so comforting. There's so much of that that is accessible. And I think it's just, it's just opening to the possibility. Yeah. Possibility. You know, the other thing, yeah, exactly. The possibility because, you know, devil's advocate again, to come back to that, even if this is the only chance I get, I get when this body is done being me, it goes on being Gaia. Yep. And the mushrooms live through eating me and the grass lives through consuming my energy and my heat goes to affect the climate in some tiny way. And all the bits and pieces that were busy being me get busy being something else. So if I just expand my awareness to this biosphere instead of my bio field, then I live as long as life is here. Yeah, I, that's when I was talking about the movies about predation before, maybe I wasn't very clear because it was exactly that feeling that, oh, well, something gets eaten by something, but then it becomes something else. Then it's the same energy just becomes something else. And yes, absolutely. What it is there's there is nothing that disappears the energy never disappears yeah. and the consciousness is probably separate from that although that's hard to know for sure but consciousness doesn't even exist in that form probably it's outside of any of that but again we could argue that or or explore it i don't mean argue, yeah but. well we're kind of coming to the end of our time and that's a whole conversation my my sense of that is that consciousness is I've always thought consciousness is attached to the light somehow, that they're one and the same thing. To the light, but not well, necessarily. Light, light being, you know, kind of the, the catch-all word for but not, not necessarily to the cells of the body that become the soil. Or, no. I, we well, you might, they might be. They might be. But that, it, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> You asked the mystic, you got one. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's a different question. But they are tied up together, aren't they? What is death and what is the life force? You know, they are, they are two things that play together. Yeah. They are. I think one of, just back on the death thing, one of the things that's quite fascinating to me, if uh, you or who's ever listened to this, it's heard of Caitlin Doherty, who is a young woman, I think she's still in her 30s, who she is a, uh, she was a, I don't know what her title is, but she um, became a funeral director. She was doing cremations. She right. worked with all of this and then started writing books. And she has some very funny books that she has, but she also had, uh, website, I'm not sure it's still there, a podcast called Ask the Mortician, and it was online where people could actually ask her questions about death and dying and what 
not necessarily the spiritual aspects, but the actual physical aspects of it. And uh, she wrote a book and I was at a book reading and one of the things I was very excited to see was that most of the audience, and there were probably 200 people there, 90% of them were young. You know, yeah. they, which usually think about death and young people don't even go there anywhere. And they were really interested in what she had to say, which was looking at things straight in the face and being able to be very real with them and also make fun of them. And uh, she even has a persona that's kind of like Morticia from the Adams family. But, but she, you know, she is right out there and there are things like that that are happening where people are saying, let's really be real with this. And, and so there's more resources than there had been certainly in most of my lifetime, you know, that have begun to really come forward. Yeah. So I think that's uh, a very good, good sign and more natural burial places and so forth. And, and um, just that there is information that we can even get didn't used to even be available right. so of making friends with death is more possible i think than it's been it used to be but it but that it has been in the second half of the 20th century anyway yeah all kinds of new things are possible mm -hmm. well thank you so much for coming with me into the mystic it's been a been a great trip welcome um I will put your contact information below where this shows up. So if people want to follow up with you, um, they can do that. Very good. And you know, one of the things, this might be a good time to say it, I would love to run a discussion group that's even deeper than a death cafe. I mean, it's a, but, but about the whole, all of this and what, what we know to be true and what we, hope to be true and all of the synchronicities that show us beyond this plane and Absolutely. I would love to do that. Let's That's make cool. that as, as an invitation. If you're, if, you're, if you're still watching this, you have to be a little bit interested in death and this is a conversation that needs to go on. And you are absolutely welcome to invite yourself to be part of it and lo, it will spring up around us. Like a mushroom. <laughs> yes, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, too. So I send out again the carrier wave that delivers our conversation, our intentions, our half-baked ideas, and our fully formed canapes to the mystic to be consumed by higher life forces and pulled forward into the future that is worth living in. I'll see you there. Oh. <laughs>